Hello, and welcome to the Compass Community Church Podcast. This week, we are starting a brand new series called I Am. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked his followers, who do you say I am? This was a critical question back then, and it still is today in 2022. As we journey towards Easter Sunday, we're spending the next few weeks looking at the different statements that Jesus makes when he proclaims who he is. Today, our lead pastor, Andrew, kicks off this series by looking at where it all started. Back in Exodus chapter 3, God tells Moses, I am who I am. And then Jesus uses that same phrase to describe himself. But what does it all mean? Join in right now as Andrew opens up this series and shares with us. This is the time of year when a lot of college and university students are looking for summer jobs. And like with any job search, there are a couple of routine steps. First of all, you have to pull together your resume and this is how you present your credentials, your experience and your background. And if the information on the resume meets the criteria for the job and catches the eye of the potential employer, you move on to step two, which is the job interview. The purpose of the job interview is to help those doing the search get to know you a little bit better and see if there's alignment between who you appear to be on paper and who you actually are. If the interview goes well, you move to step three, which is the reference checks. This is the time when contact is made with those who've worked with you in the past and those who know you very well to see if they can affirm who you are and provide more details about your abilities, your character, and your fit. The first question in our talking points this week is a, is a question that could be used in an interview. And it simply says, if someone were to ask you, who are you, how would you answer them using only three words? It's a tough question. What words would you use to describe and to tell someone who you are? And would those who know you well agree with you? If someone were exploring the Christian faith, they might go through a similar process when it comes to Jesus. They'd start by reading about who Jesus is. What are his credentials and his background? What does the Bible tell us about Jesus? And if that intrigues you, and I think it should, you'd want to push in, to come a little closer and to listen to Jesus personally Listen to his words, look at his actions, and as you do, you're asking the question, who are you? Who do you claim to be? And then look and listen for the answer. The third step would be to look personally at how those who first heard Jesus responded to his claims. How did they understand what he was saying about himself? And then finally, make it personal. How do you respond to the claims of Jesus? You see, the question of Jesus' identity is critically important. In fact, it's at the very foundation of our faith. The answer to that question changes everything. Because it determines who Jesus is and if he's actually able to do what he claims he can do. Thankfully, Jesus tells us exactly who he is. And today, as we begin our journey towards Easter, we're going to start to explore what Jesus said about himself. 
I want you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. And we're going to be spending a lot of time in John over the next six weeks. Because John exposes the two sides of Jesus. First, we discover the, the human side of Jesus. How Jesus is fully human, like us in every way, except for sin. He is the perfect human, and he shows us how to live life fully and correctly in relationship with God. But not only is Jesus fully human, he's also fully divine. And the gospel also shows us that divine side of Jesus, his God nature, how he is holy, eternal, and set apart, unlike us in in every way in terms of his essence. God wants to be known. And Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus is God in the flesh. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews 1, 5 adds, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Here in the Gospel of John, we discover over and over again that Jesus is I Am. That's the name he gives himself when he is asked, Who are you? And then he expands on that by giving metaphors and descriptions to show us what God is like and what God's offer of grace is for all of us. He says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And in the weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to unpack each one of these and look at what they tell us about who Jesus is and about God's offer to us. And while these are not the only statements Jesus makes about himself in the gospel, this is where he starts. This is the foundation. Names are really, really important. They reveal and I think help form our identity. I think that's why it's in a challenge for expectant parents to choose the name for their baby who they haven't met yet. Sometimes parents choose to wait a few days after birth before setting a name just because they want to get to know their child. We have four boys, Johnny, Matt, Eric, and Mitch. If we had known we were going to have four, we might have chosen Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I think each one of their names fits them well and helps to describe who they are. But can you imagine if you had to choose your own name? That's what God did. And the name he chose was I Am. It's so simple and yet incredibly profound. Out of reverence, Jewish people don't even say the name of God. It's considered too holy. The scribes who wrote out copies of the Old Testament scriptures in the Qumran community where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered so revered the name of God that when they would come to the name of God in the text, they would stop. They would put their pen down And they would go and have a ceremonial cleansing, a bath, a baptism, if you will. And once they were clean, they would come back. They would pick up their pen, write the name of God, 
put their pen back down, go back and cleanse again, and then come back and continue their writing. It was a really slow process, but an act of pure worship, recognizing the, the beauty, the reverence, and the divinity of God's holy name. In Hebrew, God's name is translated Yahweh. English Bibles often use the translation Lord written out in all capital letters. The first time I am appears in the Bible is in Exodus 3.14. You may remember the story of Moses and the burning bush. As Moses goes up to check out to find this bush that was on fire only to discover that it was not consumed by the fire. Rather, God had manifest his presence in the bush to call Moses onto holy ground in his presence. Why? What was God up to? He was commissioning Moses for a purpose. He was sending Moses off to lead his people out of, out of slavery in Egypt into freedom in the promised land. And after a long and unsuccessful attempt on Moses' part to convince God to pick someone else, we find these words in Exodus 3, 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Along with this classic instruction to let my people go, God explained to Moses that his name was to be I am who I am, which literally means I will be what I will be, or the one who is, the one who exists. This is the same title that God uses for himself throughout the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, uses the name I am to describe himself, it is no wonder that the religious leaders are so upset. They understood exactly what he was saying. Jesus was calling himself God Almighty here in the flesh. This is an outrageous statement, and it's ultimately what led to Jesus' crucifixion. If it were a lie, it would be completely offensive. But if it is true, it changes everything because it really means that Jesus is who he said he was and he did what he said he would do. He is the creator, the redeemer, and the savior. But the name I am is a little odd for us and a little hard for us to get our head wrapped around. And that is why the I am statements are such a gift because they help unpack it in terms that, uh, that we understand. They add to it in practical ways so that we can see exactly who Jesus is and what he's offering to us. This morning I want us to look at another time that Jesus used the title I am in a powerful way here in John 8. It's not one of the I am statements because there's no metaphor here. But does it ever ruffle some feathers? Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and up to the temple courts and the Pharisees are there and Jesus' population is rising. The people are listening to him and coming to him. 
They are threatened by his popularity and they are challenged by his teaching. And so they laid a trap for him. You see, the Pharisees hold to a faith based on rules before an angry God. Jesus presents a faith based on grace before a loving God. You couldn't have two more radical ideas and understandings of who God is. The test case is a woman caught in sexual sin who is dragged before Jesus for him to render a verdict for her according to the law of Moses. But Jesus does not condemn her. Instead, he forgives her and commissions her to a life of holiness and witness. It's an amazing act of grace. He sets her free. But it's not just for her. It's for all of us who recognize that we are caught in our sin and therefore we need the grace and mercy of a loving God. I think those two views of God still exist and dominate today. And in the passage, a huge debate breaks out. And we're going to look at it briefly as the leaders question the authority of Jesus. They're asking, what gives you the right to tell us what God is like? How can you offer forgiveness? Who do you think you are? And Jesus tells them. The crowd is filled with those who believe and those who don't believe. And those who are trying to figure out what to believe. To all of them, Jesus gives them a loving invitation to come into his freedom and learn to abide with him. There's a long back and forth debate about the nature and the identity of Jesus. It's kind of like watching a ping pong game. And I simply want us to read through it and to break it down by paragraphs with some helpful titles. The first paragraph begins in verse 31 and it could be entitled, The Offer of Freedom. It begins, To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we, we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. It is a sweet, sweet invitation. It should be a welcomed encouragement, especially for those who are identified here as those who have started down the pathway of faith and belief. But instead of filling them with encouragement and hope, it sparks a debate. Wait a minute, they say. You're saying we're not free? You're calling us slaves? We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. What they're doing is invoking privilege. On the human level, they had been oppressed and subject to oppression almost continuously throughout their history. And currently they were under Roman rule right in their own land. But spiritually, they saw themselves as favored, as in right standing with God because of their heritage and lineage, because they were descendants of Abraham. They're invoking executive privilege. They were part of the club. They had the card that gets you into the penthouse suite and the executive lounge. 
they had kept the rules and they made sure that others did as well. So they see themselves as good, as acceptable before God. They have a sense of pride and privilege that refuses to acknowledge any form of slavery. This represents many in our culture today. We usually have a pretty good understanding and concept of who we are. We often think better of ourselves than we should. Self-made, self-reliant, independent, pursuing our own forms of freedom, moral freedom, sexual freedom, freedom of speech, freedom from responsibility, freedom to choose what I want to do. And all that freedom can lead to a sense of pride and privilege where no one, not even God, can tell us what is right and what is wrong. And each one does what is right in their own eyes. And it leads to a prison of sin. In verse 34, in their response uh, to this arrogance, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the warning is clear. Sin will spiritually enslave you, but Jesus can set you free. Jesus sets us free from the penalty of sin, which is separation from God and death. Jesus sets us free from the power of sin, which will enslave us. And someday in glory, Jesus will set us free from even the presence of sin. And that's why it says in verse 35, Jesus' words, who the Son sets free is free indeed. But they're not easily swayed. The bait continues and it begins to intensify. The second paragraph could be called the choice of who to follow. In verse 37, Jesus says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in my father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If, we, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who was told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. He is, he, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear me is you do not belong to God. It's an intense debate. It's all about ethnicity, tradition, heritage, ancestry. And there's even some innuendos here when, they, when they're questioning and mocking Jesus' miraculous birth. At least we know who our father is. And Jesus is like, I know who your father is. And back and forth they go. But Jesus refuses to ultimately take their bait. 
Instead, he graciously issues them a stern warning that the devil is the father of lies. And his goal is to mislead them and pull them away into deception. And the devil does the same thing in our life as well. He lies to us. And he is the father of lies and he cannot tell the truth about us or about Jesus. He doesn't want them to know the truth. Jesus does. And what Jesus tells them is that it doesn't matter where you come from, how good or bad you have been, about your heritage, whether you were raised in a Christian home and have come to church your whole life, or whether you're just beginning the journey of faith. It's not your tradition that saves you. It's who you choose to follow. And there are only two options. You either give your allegiance to God or to the devil. There is no neutral position. Jesus is abundantly clear. Your life is on a spiritual trajectory. Either it's bent towards God and his way or it's bent away from God and his way. And Jesus is the only one who can straighten you out. We need nothing less than new birth. We need to be born again, to be born from above, as Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We need God to put his spirit within us, to put his life within us, and to help us turn away from sin, and to be regenerated to a life that is bent towards God, away from selfishness and towards righteousness. Salvation is both a one-time decision and a lifelong journey into freedom, where we choose to abide with Jesus every day. Abiding simply means to remain. Basically, taking your spot and staying there. Remaining there in the presence of Jesus. Remaining loyal to him, committed to him and his way. And we take hold of our spiritual freedom. We, we abide by choosing to live according to God's truth, God's word. Even when it's hard to obey. Even when it will cost me something. Even when I'm tempted by the devil's lies or my own desires. It's in submitting my life to Jesus and choosing to follow the lifestyle of Jesus that I find freedom. It's taking God at his word completely and not allowing ourselves to treat God's word like a spiritual buffet where I can pick up this truth, but I'll leave that one behind. I like this, not that one so much. We take it all. God's word, God's truth, we submit to it all as we submit our lives to him. As Christians, the Bible really does get to tell us what to do because we have determined to follow and to live God's way. And we have given our allegiance to Jesus. The last paragraph is the climax of the debate. And it could be called the question of greatness. Who is the greatest? Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I'm, I am not demon possessed. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my father and you have dishonored me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who, is, who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaim, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, and yet whoever obeys your word will never taste death? 
Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so do the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. This is the mic drop moment. They are arguing about who Jesus is. Is he greater than Abraham? Is he worthy of honor? Why should we listen to him? And Jesus simply says, Abraham was great. He followed God. But before Abraham was, I am God. Listen to me. Choose to follow me and discover freedom in life. Jesus tells us that he is the one who can give us power over the grave. He is the eternal one, the one who comes with life in his hands, eternal life. He is the means of transforming death and offering us eternal life. He is the solution to the greatest problem ever. And this is the very reason he came. To reveal to us who God is, to make a way for us to step out of the prison of sin into an eternal relationship with God. And this was the day that Abraham looked forward to by faith. So that's his claim. Look at the response. Verse 59, at this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus himself slipped away from the temple, from the temple grounds. They picked up stones. They wanted to stone him to death there because they believed that Jesus was blaspheming. They heard rightly Jesus say that he was, I am. But they have chosen not to believe him. They have closed their ears, their minds, and their hearts. And in doing so, they can't even see the grace that is standing right in front of them. Jesus is hidden from them and not just physically. Jesus' identity is critically important. And in these weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to do some exploration into the words of Jesus. What does the Bible say about who Jesus is? As we push closer, what does Jesus say? We're going to ask him, who are you? Who do you claim to be? We're going to look at the responses of those who, who, who were around Jesus, how they understood what he was saying about himself. But it all leads to this. What will you do with Jesus and who he claims to be? Will you let him set you free? Will you choose to follow him in life and in the life to come? Will you give him your allegiance? Will you choose to submit to his truth and live according to his word? Will you declare that he is the great I am? Because that really does change everything. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you meet us where we're at. You don't wait for us to figure it all out. You come and you find us and you lead us into truth.
We confess how often we chase after other idols. We get taken down by lies and by temptations and idols of our own making. We seek to be satisfied with things other than you. Oh Lord, would you restore us and forgive us? Lord, I pray that as we walk through this series, you would give us insight more and more to see you for who you are and the faith to trust you and the courage to follow you. Even when our days are difficult and dark, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in your name and in who you are. And if today you are ready to declare that Jesus is God, the eternal one, and you want him to be your savior. I encourage you to pray a prayer like this to God. Just simply be honest with him about where you're at and ask him for his forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. You can pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, to making things right, to save me and show me the way back to God. Thank you for your sinless life and for your willingness to go to the cross and die in order to take on the weight of my sin and carry it away and set me free. Thank you for rising from the dead and proving that death is truly defeated and that new life is possible through you. I place my trust in you to be my savior and my friend. Guide me and give me the courage, wisdom, and all that I need to follow you by faith, I pray. In your beautiful name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Hey, if, if you prayed that prayer with Pastor Andrew, we would love to connect with you. Simply contact our church office and let us know. We would be incredibly happy to have a conversation with you, to pray with you, and even help you get connected somehow. Join us next week as we continue on in this series and we discover what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life.